Going on, everyone. What is cooking? This is scriptwriter Steve. You reach my podcast, Barbecue Two Movies. Today is June tenth, twenty twenty one, but this podcast is for June 9th because it's three thirty two a.m. in the morning. I have yet to go to bed. What am I doing up late? I guess I'm killing myself, according to all the scientific studies out there. I don't care. Almost killed myself today. <laughs> Well, I don't mean by suicide, I mean by biking. You know, when I bike, man, I don't know, well, I'm sorry, I do know my limitations, but I always push it. And I know there's a point where if I ever crash on my bike or if an accident ever happens in front of me, you know, the odds are I would probably be dead, right? And knock on wood, that basically that will never happen, right? Well, I knocked on particle wood right now. So hopefully that won't count. <laughs> yeah. So today, well, yesterday I, uh, did some biking. You know, I love to bike. I love to road bike. I've been biking ever since I was a kid and I got into BMXing. Wasn't really great at jumping ramps. And then I got into a sport called trials and I got pretty good at that. I got to maybe, I would call maybe at the semi-pro level, not necessarily pro where, you know, you can ride around doing trials, I, uh, I guess for a living, but I got to the semi-pro level where I was jumping off, you know, walls that are about 12 to 15 feet high. That's really high, by the way. I mean, it's really, really high. And I'm jumping, you know, my bike off of these very narrow ledges onto like, uh, uh onto some, uh, basically onto the sidewalk and, uh, doing things that could really, really hurt me. So I was kind of used to it. And, you know, my really good friend Dawson and I, we got really, really good at this. Our other friend Nathan got extremely good to that where he was, I think he was, you could consider him pro level. And, uh, you know, we were all sponsored by Bike Factory down here in Hawaii, which is a great, uh, I guess, uh, local business. And we got a lot, a lot of our equipment, you know, for at a discount price if we did a few shows for him. So we would do a lot of shows for him, I think once or twice per year. And it was great. You know, we were never ever, you know, professional, professional, professional sponsored by the big bike companies or anything like that. And, um, but we, you know, with all that being said, I did, you know, we did, well, I did sponsor my own bike shows. You know, I did have my own company out there being advertised dream weddings, Hawaii canoe girl productions. Um, did I have dream weddings Hawaii back then? No, I don't, I don't think I had dream weddings Hawaii. I think I only had canoe girl productions there. Um, but we did get, you know, some advertisements here and there. It was really cool. It was really, really cool. And we do shows for, um, I think it was St. Francis. Was it St. Francis? What, what was the name of that? I forgot which hospital it was, but it was this hospital that they would do all of the, I think they would work with the really, really, uh, physically handicapped. And I think all of the operations they did there were 100% for free. And I think they had, something to be associated with the Freemasons or something like that, because a lot of the people there, a lot of the men there, they wore those hats, right? So uh I forgot what they call those people, but then the, the whole, I think the whole hospital was just all free for those kids there, which is really cool. But we did all of these shows for the kids and, uh, you know, for the kids who were like, you know, handicapped as well, or went through the, I guess, different surgeries there. And also for, uh, I think it was State Farm Insurance. They wanted to show the kids out there how to ride a bike safely. And, um, <laughs> I guess doing these stunts and telling these, stu- these kids, Hey, you can do these stunts, but just wear a helmet, you know, and, uh, everything will be okay. 
uh, that was the whole theme of that. So uh, but it was fun, though. That was a portion of my life that lasted to maybe about, I think, 23, 24 years old. Or was it 23 or 24? I'm not sure. It's such a long time ago. I'm 44 years old right now, right? And uh, from there, I transferred into more street biking, which is basically, uh, it's a uh, Kind of like um, mountain biking, except you're hopping over trash bags and hopping over downstairs and upstairs and everything. And then I went into road biking, and I really enjoy road biking. And road biking has exposed me to like uh, speeds which I never thought were possible on a bike. And um, that's the, the part that I kind of love it, love about it, is that I can hit um, speeds on my road bike that I never thought were possible. So I've, I think, on in Makakilo, on a hill going down there, I hit maybe 63 miles per hour on my bike. I think that's the fastest I've ever been on a bicycle. Um, just uh, yesterday, I hit 39 to 41 miles per hour. According to the, um, the the guy who was driving down the the hill with me, he was actually driving down there. Um, it wasn't no one was following me or following me or someone was ahead of me. And when I pulled up at the stoplight, it was a cool gentleman who just got out of Camp Smith there. There's a military base at the top there. And he told me, dude, you're going so fast. You look so good going down there. And he's actually a road biker. And he said, man, your form was great going down there. And I was trying to lose you, but <laughs> I was trying to get ahead of you, but I couldn't get ahead of you. And uh, you know, to tell you the truth, I was feathering my bricks to make sure I wouldn't, you know, kind of like ride up on his bumper. Uh, because I think if he wasn't there in front of me, I would have... I think I could have hit maybe around 53 miles per hour. Uh, and that again, that's without pedaling. That's purely gravity pulling me down there. And I think the reason why I can also go pretty fast down there is right now, at this moment in time, I'm 200, I think 29 or 230 pounds right now. I am not a light fella. I think I am too heavy actually for my carbon fiber bike. I should be under the 200 pound range. And, um, and I know, I know, you know what? I'm going to get there. Uh, this COVID, this COVID lockdown thing, you know, all I did during COVID was lift weights and learn how to perfect my cookie recipe. And, you know, when you make cookies, you can't just make one cookie, right? You have to make, you know, a big batch full, right? I mean, we're talking two sticks of butter, you know, three quarter cups of sugar, white sugar and brown sugar. And you mix all that together and that's all good stuff. Plus you have to drink it with milk, right? That's a lot of calories. So I gained a lot of weight. I think before COVID, I was maybe 212. So I gained around, you know, a good 15, 17 pounds. And I got up, I think to 246, 248. I got a pretty, pretty good, but I wasn't fat. I was just husky. Why don't we just say that? So I got, you know, I lost about 18 pounds, you know, and then um, I still have a weight, a lot more to go. So I'm on kind of on a low carb diet. I'm also fasting every single day. Got to keep my biking up. I got to stay away from those sweets too. But, you know, when I hang out with all my friends, kind of just tend to let it go. So uh, right now I'm just kind of stabilized around 29, uh, 229, 231. It's still a good weight, you know, um, but... My muscles have gotten a lot bigger, and I think I just call it the bulking phase. You know, when bodybuilders, they call it the bulking phase. I'll use that excuse. Um, but I want to go into my cutting phase, and I think if I cut down to maybe uh, 200, 205, maybe about 195, that'll be a really good biking weight, and I think I'll have a nice set of abs, too, to go with it. So that'll be good. So uh, today, you know, again, I rode up to um, Camp Smith. Uh, this hill that's... 
It's pretty steep, by the way. It's really steep. Here in Hawaii, when you bike in Hawaii, um, you basically, you know, you can't go to, get away from the hills. There's very few. The terrain here is not really level. So if you if you imagine the island of the, all of the islands around the perimeter, it's pretty much flat. But when you go more toward toward the center, um, there's very steep mountains right there, and the mountains are so steep that most of the inside of the island it's not really habitable. You, you can live between the valleys, but that's about it. So even for right now, for me, um, I live in Kahalu, and it's we live between the valleys. You can't really live on top of the mountains, right? They're much too steep. They're very very sharp peaks. And uh, you can't even ride your bike up there, and you can't mountain climb up there either because the the um, I think the rock is very much it, it crumbles a lot, so it's not very good climbing rock. Uh, but you know, it's great hiking. It's good for hiking. Uh, there have been a lot of people, tourists and locals, who have died. Uh, I guess hiking our mountains because they're just they're really steep and they're very sharp up there. And when I say sharp, I mean when you take a helicopter tour. And I've never done that. But when you see, I've seen the helicopter footage, right? And you see how sharp these ridges are. I mean, they are sharp, sharp, sharp. I mean, from that helicopter, it looks like it's, these ridges are as sharp as a knife. And you see people hiking on the top of these ridges, which are just crazy. So one little slip and fall, they'll go, you know, go, they'll go off one of the other, other ways, sideways, and maybe, you know, fall a good thousand feet to their death. And um, some of these mountain biking trails, by the way, you look down on one side. There's one of the, the Mount Willie Trail. I remember riding this with, with my friend Doss. We rode it a couple of times. And, man, you look right there down on the left-hand side, and it's maybe a five – it looks like a 500-foot drop. So – and we're going down this trail on our mountain bikes – and again, because we're, because we're really good at handling, we could actually do this really well and not put our foot down. Um, but anyone else out there, I think the other bikers we saw out there, they were actually walking their bikes through there. But again, being a trials rider, you know, we don't really fear height. And secondly, we can kind of ride our, we can ride over boulders and logs pretty easily. You know, we don't, we know how to navigate. We don't even know how to navigate when our, um, when our bikes are standing still and, um, our bikes are not moving forward, you know, because in, in the game of trials, in the skill or in the world of trials, uh, a lot of times your bike isn't moving forward and you're, you're just kind of pogo sticking everywhere. When I say pogo sticking, your, your brakes are locked and you're either hopping on the back tire or hopping on both tires. So it's pretty neat. You know, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm pretty good at biking. So, um, what else did I do today? Well, other than that, I got a wedding inquiry, came home, came home and didn't do any wedding. I did have no wedding today, which is great. And uh, fell asleep because that bike ride really took a lot out of me. And um, woke up, made some ginger chicken. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know what ginger chicken is. It's a it's a really cool Chinese dish. Very, very easy to make. And um, maybe one day I'll talk about how to make it. I don't want to talk about it now because I want to get into some other topics I really want to talk about. You know what I want to talk about right now is um, I want to kind of continue my conversation about paranoia. Uh, yeah, I really, really do that. I really, really want to do that because, you know, I had an experience just maybe about a few days ago, two or three days ago with um, some very good people. And I don't want to name names out here, but they're very, very good people. I would say very classy people, highly moral people who are, who are on the right side of ethics. Why don't we say that? But unfortunately, uh, you know, they've gone down that rabbit hole of 
I guess, QAnon, or just, why don't we just say Q, right? Because Q, there's no such thing as QAnon. There's Q, and then there's Anons, right? But um, they just went down that rabbit hole of just misinformation, and they're on the conservative side. And so they're on the right, you know, the right side of politics, which, you know, I associate myself with. But with that being said, you know, they're still not, they're very much like those on the left, because there's a lot of paranoia out there. There's a lot of trust issues out there, which has led them to this, I guess, area of unhealthy thinking. So when I get back from this podcast, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the whole, I guess, America as a whole, because what I'm seeing right now is that America is just not headed down the right track. I mean, it's really, really bad. And I think, you know, I'm not sure if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are paranoid, right? But are they? Are they? Or are they so smart, they're just playing on our paranoias and making America paranoid? Either way, it's bad. So I'm going to cut to commercial. When I get back, we'll get into all of this. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's scriptwriter Steve with a shameless plug for my company, Dream Weddings Hawaii. So if you want to get married in Hawaii, if you want to get your vows renewed in Hawaii, and if you want some family pictures in Hawaii, make sure you check me out. So my website is dreamweddingshawaii.com. So that's dream, weddings with a S, Hawaii spelled out, dot com. Okay, everyone, I hope you're back from that commercial break. I am too, of course. I need to be. This is my podcast. I can't go anywhere, right? <laughs> oh, I'm going to turn this down. I like this music thing. Oh, boy. I do. I really like that music. I wish I could play that music and just talk over it. It really puts me in the mood right there to, like, you know, you know, talk about things that are more interesting, right? So I got that mystery music playing. All right, so, you know, before I get into my entire, uh, I guess, um, I guess spiel, why don't we call it that, I want to pull up some here, some some really cool, like, uh, stats right here for my podcast. Um, my podcast, by the way, is growing. Thank you so much to all the listeners out there. Uh, I don't know you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for keep listening. And uh, it looks as though a lot of you are coming back. So, again... You know, thank you so much for sharing this to your friends or your family or anyone. And, uh, you know, I'm just out here just to talk about anything. Um, my podcast, again, is called From Barbecue to Movies, which is basically in, is about everything. You know, barbecue, movies, food, you know, politics, everything. any Anything that's really on my mind, anything that affects my life or anything like that. It's just a diary in a way, right? And uh, I got one of the largest listener... I guess, I guess listener bounces, I guess, for my podcast. I'm not sure what you would call it, but, um, it's one of the largest, uh, listenerships, I guess, or people who listen to it. What is the word for it? I don't know what the word is. I'm not a professional at this stuff, right? But, I, oh, place. That's right. Place. I got the most plays in a day for one of my podcasts, which is about 140 or 153 listens uh, for one of my podcasts. Um, and that's pretty cool. 
I really think that's really neat. I never had that before. And before, usually I only get maybe about 10 or 15 per day, but to have 150 people listen to me in one day, um, that's really out there. I, so it, I had this huge bounce and, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of humbled by it because apparently, you know, there's an up people out there who decided all of a sudden, wow, I really like him, you know? So that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, what's really interesting too is that the, the majority of my, um, audience is female. 55% of my audience is female. Uh, 41% is male. Um, the majority of my audience is 35 to 44 year olds. So again, I'm talking to, women my age. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I wonder if they're single, right? I wonder if they're single. I wonder if they're really pretty. Maybe I should give out my email address and have them send pictures to me, right? <laughs> so anyway, out of the out of the, the genders out there, I have people who are four percent of them are not specified. So they're not they're not male or female. And then I don't have anyone from the non-binary, I guess, audience. I did it one time, but I no longer have. So I think those people dropped off the, the face of the planet. And I think it's because I may have said some things that are, you know, may have offended them. So I'm really sorry about that. I don't mean to offend anyone. Um, the majority of you are listening to me on, I guess, another, I guess, other. I'm not sure what other is. So there's Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify. I think most people are listening to me on Apple. Then second comes Anchor, then Spotify. The last is Overcast. But then the vast majority, 42% of you, are listening on other platforms other than Apple, Anchor, Spotify, or Overcast. So that could be the web. That could be, you know, anything else out there. I'm not really sure. I don't even listen to a lot of podcasts myself. Um, but I used to listen to, uh, Michael Savage, who I think is podcasting now. I do have him on my Google podcast on my phone. Um, that's what I use. I use Google a lot and I really like Google, but I heard there are other podcast apps out there. Now, again, I'm not a professional podcaster. This is not what I do for a living. I just like to do this. Um, I think it's a good hobby. Um, and I'm not really doing it to profit off of it right now, but it is helping my wedding company. Uh, but this podcast to this day uh, has currently made me $18.05, which is really cool. I like it. $18.05. I could get more than a Happy Meal now, which is, <laughs> I think at one time I was so happy I could like, I made $5. So I made $18 so far. And um, I did make, I think, I think three or four dollars in a day, which is great. But the great thing about this is that a lot of you who have listened to my podcast have actually booked my services from Dream Weddings Hawaii. So I have made a pretty good amount of money. I'm not sure if I ever told you the amount, but I have made a pretty good amount of money from this podcast for my, for my own company, Dream Weddings Hawaii. So thank you so much for to, to all the listeners out there who have booked my services. You know, again, Dream Weddings Hawaii, we do everything. Weddings, of course, vow renewals, family pictures. So if you come to Oahu, you want good pictures, you want to do a surprise vow renewal for your loved one, uh, we do all of that. Or if you want to get married down here, you want to elope on top of the beach, that's what we do. So, you know, and our prices are very, 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 very affordable. So, um, you know, give me a call if you want, you know, to do that. So, oh, my phone number is 808-479-0685. So that's 808-479-0685, all right? But if you missed it, I'll have it run in an ad probably. Oh, wait, hold on. My ad already happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, I guess you have to re 
I'm not going to go back and tell you my phone number again. I just want to go forward. So anyway, again, thank you so much for all the listeners out there. Really appreciate it. And uh, now we'll conclude that part about talking about myself. You know what's really weird? Dr. Fauci came out today and he said that anyone who attacks him, conservatives, they're attacking science. So apparently Dr. Fauci is science. He doesn't want to answer the question whether or not he funded or the reason why he funded uh, the, um, I guess he funded EcoHealth, who funded gain of function, uh, gain and function research for, I guess, through the Wuhan lab, which was a level two lab, and uh, which more than likely gave birth to the virus that we know that have, that basically shut down the entire world. He doesn't want to answer that question. Why is that? Right. And he says, if you ask anything more, you are basically insulting science because he's science, apparently. Right. And he was so worried about this. Like you saw in his emails that he, 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 um, emailed other people who were involved with this saying, Hey, you know what? We better talk about this. We have to better organize a meeting. And on top of that, he was saying things that he was, he was responding to a lot of people out there regarding masks and social distancing. And he, he was saying that even lockdowns weren't really, really necessary or masks really didn't work. Um, this was way back in March, and this was directly against what he was telling the public. So something is out there. So something's up with this guy. Uh, I don't really trust him too much. I really, 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 really don't. So now getting back into what I was originally going to talk about, which is, again, Paranoia Part 2.0. I already had talked about you know paranoid, I guess, paranoia before. And again, it's not a nice thing to call people paranoid. I know it is. But let me just say this. We all go there. We all go there. The question is, are you smart enough to pull you out? Now, again, with this Dr. Fauci thing, I even ask myself, am I going paranoid? Am I screenwriting? Am I writing fiction in my own mind to validate my fears or even make me more fearful? Because again, our minds love to be fearful. I mean, you know, like it or, like it or not, we love to be fearful. We are powered by fear. It's kind of like the Star Wars kind of, um, you know, theology out there, but Star Wars had a lot of things right when it came to the personal psyche. You know, we are powered by different fears. Like for me, I have a fear of doing the wrong thing, right? So what does that make me do? It makes me more careful in what I do. It makes me more critical of others. I am fearful that other people would do the wrong thing. So what does that make me? You know, very argumentative if they don't follow my rules because I'm a rule person. Being fearful of doing the wrong thing gives birth to basically a person who's anal retentive or very much a rule maker, not a rule breaker, but a rule maker. So I like to follow rules a lot of times, right? But I will break rules if I think those rules are not the right thing. And this is who I am. Now, you you are not me, right? This is my type of personality type. Like Fauci, he's ver- his fear is not looking good. He is very much into image. He's very much about looking and saying the right thing. He's not about, he's not like the intellect we thought he was. Fauci is not an intellect. Far from it. You, it's very easy to say that, oh, Fauci is an intellect because, you know, he's a doctor, he's a scientist, everything. But no, he's not. He cares more about what he, what he looks like, what he says. He's careful about that. He's careful about, you know, manipulating the data and telling the right thing because he wants to sell you an image all the time, an image of himself and an image of that he's doing the right thing, right? But 
Is he doing the right thing? Even, even if he's doing the wrong thing, he won't tell you. And he'll tell other people other things just to make them feel good or make him look good in front of them. So when it comes down to paranoia, we all have different paranoias, right? We all have different fears. And you can never get away from that, right? Because, And the, the, the challenge is to catch yourself before you go too far. Because if you go full paranoid, right, and it becomes a lot harder to pull yourself out because all of a sudden those paranoias become etched into your rib cage and, you know, they're just part of you. They define you. These paranoias are no longer just, you know, just research or a website or a web page you just kind of stumbled across. These paranoias define your soul. And that's where we are right now. So a few days ago, you know, I, I had an opportunity to, my friend organized, a, a, it was actually a, a, um, one, of, one of my really close friends who organized a, kind of a barbecue outing with like-minded people. We were, we were all conservatives out there. And, uh, you know, I started talking to a handful of these. And, you know, two, two individuals came over maybe toward the end of the barbecue, very, very nice individuals. And uh, we had a discussion about um, the vaccine. Now, half of us there took the vaccine and half of us there didn't. Now, this, uh, this person, there was a woman and there was a gentleman. And the woman was kind of very animate, very, um, and she asked us, well, why did we decide to take the vaccine? And I told her, you know, straight out, well, I, again, the reason why I took, why do I tell you? You know, I took it so I could travel to Maui to do weddings. And that was primarily the original reason. And part of it was, it's kind of our health because I really believe that these vaccines work. Well, she started to go on to us this um, kind of start to started to like uh, repeat a lot of theories that I heard out there that the mRNA vaccines were not vaccines, right? These were actually a ways that the government to the government was uh, it was a vehicle that for the government to track you, and what was actually injected into our body was not anything to fix COVID. It was to actually track us with nanobots, yes, nanobots, and that we were somehow connected to the 5G wireless towers out here that were being installed in Hawaii. So um, now I didn't want to laugh at that. And again, you know, I did research into that because again, what if, what if she's right that, that there are little robots in my body and they're communicating to the 5G towers, right? Well, I did some research into this and here's the thing. Uh, number one, there are no nanobots out there. I mean, nanobots don't exist at all. Like, you know, little robots that are microscopic. In fact, they're smaller than microscopic. They're nanoscopic, right? Because microscopic is like nanoparticles are smaller than even what a microscope could possibly even see, right? So I guess, or a microscope could see, but even then it'd be very, very hard to manufacture. There's no computers or no little robots that are nano-sized. And, um, you know, this, this, this woman there, she didn't understand you know, what nano, what nanotechnology was. So nanotechnology is very small particles, right? So Pfizer does, it does say that there's nanoparticles in there, nanoantigens, right? These, these little spike proteins, which are very much, that's nanotechnology. She thinks nano means robot. <laughs> so now again, I laughed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If she's listening to this, I do not mean to laugh at you, but it is, it is a little humorous. To think that, you know, people are thinking that nano, nanoparticles or, or the word nano means robots, right? But nanobots is not, are not nanoparticles. Nanobots don't exist yet. 
Another question too, which we brought up there, and the other uh, the other two guys who are my friends. Um, again, they're very uh, strong male person personalities, uh, who kind of have like a, uh, I guess, um, a hunger for debate. Right? Why don't we just say it that way? And um, they debated her, and they were very civil in their debate, but there was a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback, and they're also very very smart. And um, and again, sometimes I don't get along with these guys, but for this for this conversation, we were all on the same page. But even then, I didn't really have much to say because they were just dominating the conversation. But uh, one of the one of the the gentlemen there, the one of my friends there, came out and said that well, there's no way to actually power if there were if they were nanobots, there are no way to actually power this. And this woman says, well, yes, there is, and it's powered through your your bloodstream. It's powered through the power of blood and the and the uh, the electrodes inside your body. Now that's really interesting technology. If that really really existed, unfortunately, it doesn't. But one day that may actually happen, and that would be very cool. Because you know, again, nanobots, again, little robots in your body, powered by you know some type of small battery out there within your bloodstream and everything, that would be really, really neat. Because what you could do with nanobots inside your body, they could repair things, repair bad cells, repair you know, arteries, repair anything within your body. And it would be really nice. It would be really, really, really nice. In fact, I wrote in one of my new pieces of fiction out there, I do have this nanotechnology with nanorobots coming out in there. And they do turn the world upside down. And again, again, when you look in a lot of books in there, it's nothing out of ordinary to have nanobots. I mean, nanobots is like, you know, from Transformers. You know, Transformers had nanobots, right? So anyway, she, anyway, she does, she goes on to say that, you know, again, we are, you know, we are connected to the 5G network out there. Now, <laughs> when I saw Pitmaster, I told, I told Pitmaster Keith this later, um, earlier on today when I saw him at, at the supermarket. And, uh, you know, Pitmaster Keith, who works at the supermarket, told me, he says, wow, you know, I wish I had uh, 5G inside of me. I don't, I don't even have 5G on my phone. <laughs> and, I, and I said, that's really, tr- I, that, that's, that's really true. And I said, oh, maybe we should um, get this vaccine and inject 5G into our phone so we can get 5G because we just have those old 4G LTE phones, right? <laughs> And the funny thing about it is that, you know, our phones, in order for us to connect to the 5G network, it takes a tremendous amount of power, right? And even then, even the 4G LTE network, it takes a tremendous amount of power. We have lithium-ion batteries inside there that has to power, you know, our antennas to reach that far. Imagine if you, you had something inside your body, right? It would have to go, your your body would have to communicate, you know, your, through your bloodstream, through your bones, through your tissue to these cell towers out there. It's just not feasible. It's really, really not feasible. And that's why, you know, for myself, from a screenwriting point of view, this is where the plot holes or loopholes or basically these, um, I won't say plot holes in logic and plot holes in science, you know, come into play. And this is where, you know, myself as a screenwriter can say, well, you know, it, when you read about this kind of stuff on top of the internet, which I did, I looked, I looked at it, you know, you can kind of poke holes in it. Someone is, someone out there is having fun, you know, manipulating the, the, the minds of these really good conservative people. Because these conservatives, they already have, uh, I guess, a mistrust of the government out there. They have a mistrust of the media out there. And rightfully so, because the media does lie to you and the government does lie to you, right? We're seeing that right now. But that doesn't mean 
that your resource on the internet is more reliable than the government or more reliable than the news out there. You kind of have to decipher information as it comes in. You have to kind of be a, your own investigative reporter. And even myself, when I read certain things, you know, I got fooled. So it's not like as though I'm infallible to like getting fooled myself. And, you know, and, and literally I had to have some of my friends to say, is that even possible? Is that really possible? And then I found out that article, which I thought was real, was written by a quack. And there's so many doctors out there who are just quack artists. And um, it, I'm not sure what their motivation is. I think two of them are writing books. I think there's one guy out there. I think he's called, he's called Dr. Fleming or something. He went to jail for health healthcare fraud. And he's out there pushing almost every single vaccine type of like um, conspiracy theory out there. And uh, he wants you to actually uh, subscribe to his Fleming report or Fleming Fleming newsletter or I forgot what it is. And that's the way he'll make money by writing all of this fiction out there. And by he also has a way to treat you if you have COVID, which has very strange type of methodologies methodologies out there, which are part of it is true, part of it is not right. So um, it, it's one of those things where I think you really have to take. I guess whatever's on the internet with a grain of salt and not go down that rabbit hole. And, but again, how do you know it's a rabbit hole? You, you should just read everything, right? And again, you should just really exercise common sense. Pick apart a lot of these arguments. I don't care if you're on the right or on the left and just use common sense. Don't use paranoia and fear as your motivating factor. So this whole, I think this whole country, I think COVID and Donald Trump put together, they've basically made United States a lot more paranoid than they have to be. And so, for example, Donald Trump made a lot of people on the left paranoid that white supremacy is here and rampant in America. And the Democrats started to push that narrative, right? And Black Lives Matter started to also, you know, I guess the word is gaslight, to gaslight white supremacy here in, in America. You know, it's funny. The government says that white supremacy right now is one of the, the biggest threats that America has to face. White supremacy. I have yet to meet a white supremacist, even though I am told they're everywhere. And apparently they're all involved with Trump. So if you go to a Trump, uh, if you go to a Trump rally, which I have been many, many times, I'm going to run into a white supremacist. I have not ran into one. I know a lot of uh, Trump supporters in America, on, on the mainland, internationally. They're not white supremacists. But apparently, even myself, I am called a white supremacist, right? And again, here's my question is that I know the Democrats are saying, you know, we have to be careful about the white supremacist. And again, it pushes the left into this, this um, uh, I guess, this posture of just point, finger pointing and labeling all white people as white supremacists. And therefore, we have to teach critical race theory in schools. We have to have, we have to donate to Black Lives Matter. We have to defund the police because they're racist as well. We have to take a look at our, all of our institutions because every single institution out there from the banks to the colleges to even our schools to even the newspaper, well, it's white supremacy everywhere. That's what, that's what they want you to know. And that's what many on the left have said. <laughs> now, it's not true, of course. And that's just paranoid. So again, you have it on the right, again, with this all these conspiracy theories about 5G and everything like that. And then you have, you have it on the left. 
And the problem is that the Democrats are pushing more people on the left to be paranoid, and then you have the Q people who are pushing more people on the right to be paranoid. And there's some truth to both of this. I mean, there is some truth, but it's not what you think. There is racism in America right now, and there's vast amounts of racism in America. But it's not being committed by those on the right. It's being committed by those on the left who push critical race theory. So again, those people who are screaming the loudest, pointing the finger, you know, screaming and saying, everyone's a racist, you're a racist, every white person's a racist, that rhetoric right there by saying, hey, if you're white, you're born white, your child's born white, they're automatically racist, that's racism. Yes, white people are the ones who are on, I guess, or I'm sorry, not on, but in the crosshairs of racism. Because apparently, we can't, they can't change anything about themselves, no matter what. They get born white, they have blonde hair, and automatically they're racist because they have some type of privilege. You know, their ancestors had done something to the blacks a long time ago, even though, and the blacks right now who have not suffered through slavery are suffering through something systemic, which America had built a long time ago, and that's what the Democrats want you to believe, and that's what the left is basically pushing and all most of the people on the left are many 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 progressive liberals believe that and they don't even know they're racist now i'm going to tell you this one story really quick i've you know if you listen if you listen to my podcast before you probably heard it i know many of you are new listeners and i'm not going to make you go back and try to find the story but this story involves a, a real friend of mine um, I'm not going to say their name because I still want to keep them as a friend. But this friend um, is is a woman, and um, she's a very much a Bernie Sanders liberal, and she's very much against racism, right? She's very much against racism. She tells me that all the time. Now she doesn't listen to my podcast, but it's so it's pretty safe to tell the story. But I'm not going to name names, right? I'm not. I'm just not going to do that. So during the height of I don't want to say not the height, but during, uh, I guess, when Black Lives Matter and the whole George Floyd thing and all these protests were happening around the, all the cities across America, uh, she went into a Costco over here in Hawaii, and she saw a black man. And she saw a black man shopping in there. So she walked straight up to this person, and she gave him $20. Well, the black man turned to her and said, and asked her, what are you doing? What are you doing, ma'am? And she said, I'm giving you $20 because you need it. And he said, I don't need it. I really don't need this. So you can take it back. And she said, no, you need it. You absolutely need it. And then he said, no, ma'am, I don't. I know you're coming from a good place. But look, listen, I'm a doctor. I don't need your money. I'm wealthy. And guess what she said? You can't be a doctor. You're black. You can't be wealthy. You're black. Take my money because I'm trying to fight racism. So she pushed the money in his face and then left. And then she bragged about it. Now, (laughs) I told her that she's a racist for saying that. And of course, all of us right now, or I bet all of you, your jaws are just dropped right now because again, you're all saying that, man, that's freaking racist. Now, get this. I got attacked on Facebook by all of her friends 
because I had said that she's racist. I said, you are racist for, <laughs> for not assuming that this black man could be wealthy and this black man can't be a doctor. And she, again, she repeated again that she, she, she said that he can't be a doctor. He's black. He can't be wealthy. He's black. And then a lot of her friends repeated that same thing, that same mantra. They didn't even realize that they were, they themselves were being racist. And I think, you, you know, they're the white liberal. You know, as much as they try, they try so hard not to be racist, but they are. So a lot of what they're saying is self-projected because they think you're racist out there because they're, they have those thoughts in their mind, right? They really, really do have those thoughts in their mind. And again, they'll also attack white women, not white, just white women, white people. So they'll attack white people. And then on top of that, they'll, they'll actually attack, um, I guess they'll actually make the assumption that blacks are not smart enough to do certain things. And we see this a lot. Like the whole voter ID thing is very, very racist. You know, Joe Biden is out there um, on the, I guess, on the podium saying that blacks are not smart enough to get an ID to vote. I don't know one person, one black person who doesn't have an ID. Now, I do know there's, you know, homeless people have a hard time getting ID or something like that. If they're not poor or, or, you know, rich enough or anything like that, they don't get an ID, but a lot of them do. There are homeless people. How do they buy, how do they buy alcohol, right? There are homeless people who have IDs so they can buy alcohol. But I did meet a homeless person the other day, talked to him, I had a conversation. He didn't have an ID. And he was like, how, how do I get an ID? I don't have no money. Gave the guy like 15 bucks, but then I told him, you know, that, that's for food. But I told him to pray a lot, everything. I wasn't about to give him more money or even get involved with him because he was really, really messed up. But, um, you know, for the most part, you know, <laughs> your race has nothing to do about your intelligence. We know that, you know, and uh, the cops are not racist out there. But again, the left is a little bit paranoid because they've been fed this their entire life. And they're still getting fed this, that, you know, America was built upon racism and we're a racist country. And, you know, there's, they always talk about, you know, I guess inequality. And even when it comes to say things like, you know, women are not getting paid enough, in, enough in the workplace, right? There's, it's unfair. And they have these stats to prove it, right? Well, stats can say things, but again, figures can lie. You know, one of my friends who's a photographer, a really, really great photographer, said that stats are like bikinis. They sure look good, but they hide all the good parts. <laughs> it's true. They sure look good, but hide all the good parts, right? Just like a bikini, right? And here's the thing. When we take a look at the stats, like say, we'll just talk about any type of stats. We'll talk about football, interceptions. Well, the interception stat always goes on to the quarterback stat. But a lot of times, is it the quarterback's fault? Sometimes, many times, it's not. Maybe the line didn't block good enough. Maybe the, the line tipped his pass. Maybe the receiver kind of fumbled the ball when he caught it, and then the cornerback actually t uh, caught the ball. So maybe it was the receiver's fault. Maybe it was the line's fault. Maybe it was, you know, maybe the running back, you know, did something, hit, hit the quarterback's arm and the ball went up in the air and then it got intercepted. But that interception will always go on to the quarterback stat. So we have to always look into the stats and to see what is the context of this argument, right? What is the context of this number, this percentage? 
Now, here's my thing. You may experience sexism or anything inside the, inside the, um, uh, I guess, at, at a workplace, but is it systemic? I mean, are all employers, all businesses, every single establishment out there saying that we are going to hold back women and not pay women their fair share, right? Or what they deserve, right? I don't think so. Businesses operate like how they will. So you will find maybe, you know, I guess where you have a male chauvinist, right? A chauvinist out there who just doesn't like women and wants to keep women down. Fine. That's very possible in that one instance. But just because it happens on that one business doesn't mean it carries over and over and over again. Not at all. Now, and can we take a look at why that stat may be? Why my why women may work less than men or make make less than men? You know, we we really don't know. We really, really don't know. And then I always hate for a fact when these um you know these uh, reporters say that well, if a woman and men held the same job, they find that the women will actually make less. Well, there's a lot of positions where both you have two people, they could be both females, they hold the same job, but because one has been there longer, they have seniority. And because it's a union workplace, they get paid more because they've just been working there for a much longer time. That just happens. You know, reporters, the media, the reporters, the media, the government, it almost seems as though they have an agenda to make us all a little bit more crazy because sensationalism does sell, right? You know, if they don't sensationalize everything, they won't sell, sell newspapers and all that. But right now, I think there's more of an agenda to divide us. So why don't we circle back to those people there who I had met this, uh, this past week. These are really, really tool. Two very, very, very cool individuals. Now, even though I disagreed with them and what they were saying were flat out wrong, um, I still respect them. And I really thank them for bringing, I guess, their concerns, I guess, to the table. And they're coming from a good place. And you have to understand that even when I hear people from the left telling me things about, you know, mask work and all these different types of things, they're coming from a good place for the most part. They want to help you. They're not like the top Democrats or the top Republicans that where they're feeding you, you know, false information to control you. You know, people are coming from a good place. It's like the Christian who goes to the atheist to share his beliefs in the afterlife, right? And atheists, you know, automatically they get offended and how dare you bring Jesus into my life or something like that. But if you just understood where that Christian was coming from, he's trying to give you the ultimate gift, you know, he has out there, which is everlasting life. He wants to give you that gift, you know, so the least you could do is listen to them. So these people out there, you know, these, these, this uh, woman and this gentleman out there, even though they disagree with me on the vaccines, they won't take the vaccines or anything. And they believe that again, because they don't want to be connected to the 5G cell phone towers and everything like that. They're coming from a good place. And even though I think that they're 100% wrong, and they are 100% wrong, they're not bad people. Not at all. Right. And again, they're not crazy either. They just, you know, read the wrong thing. And they haven't they're, they don't have, I, I, unfortunately, here's where an insult may come in. They don't have the investigative qualities of a, of a person who knows how to, you know, poke holes into stories. 
right? So some people are just, you know, they're just more gullible than others or more naive, right? You know, um, there's a lot of conspiracies out there, by the way. Um, we, you know, I'm going I'm to touch upon one. And uh, before I go, I've been talking for a little, a little, little long time. This may be a longer podcast than others, but uh, you know what? I'm a, kind of on a roll here. So why don't we talk about this theory that bombs brought down the World Trade Center? All right. Bombs brought down the World Trade Center. The, Ra- the World Trade Centers were brought down by a government entity, you know, uh, you know and this was a, uh, and the, the theory that the government brought it, why did the government bring it down was to cause wars, right? Because we wanted to get into a war with the Middle East and maybe go after more oil. And that, the, you know, it wasn't Al-Qaeda. It was someone within the government or a dark group within the government that, I guess, imploded these, imploded these buildings on purpose. And why do they say that, right? Well, the argument is that even though these two airplanes went into the, these buildings, jet fuel does not burn hot enough to melt steel. Not at all. And that's very true. That's 100% true. It doesn't burn hot enough to melt steel. But there's a lot of things wrong with that theory. And before I get into this, right, if any of you folks are quote-unquote 9-11 truthers out there, none of what I'm about to say is meant to offend you. Because again, where you are coming from and where you believe is actually coming from a very, very good place. I'm just going to tell you where I come from. And I'm going to poke holes in this theory like how I would poke holes in a movie. So just imagine I saw a movie with this theory being pushed. That's how I would poke, in, poke holes into it, right? So number one, there are only be, I think there are only two families capable of demolishing a building of that size. Two families in the entire world that work on demolishing buildings basically the size of the Road Trade Center. Now, I forgot what, what these names were, but um, I remember a long time ago, I used to watch one of these, uh, I guess, one of these families. I think they were the, the number one demolishing, demolishing group in America, and, um, and they demolished federal buildings, um, you know, stadiums. You know, when, when, ho- when Las Vegas hotels would be demolished, they would actually be hired to demolish them. And the prep work to demolish a building is extremely long and it's a very tedious process. So what happens is that you can't you can't just go into a building and then lay bombs in a building and then just explode explode bombs on every level and expect the building to just implode on it on itself. No, what you have to do is you have to gut the building and take up supporting walls, right? Now, some of the things where they gut is just to make sure that the building falls upon each other, right? But you have to gut supporting walls. So just imagine um, the game of Jenga, right? So when you start off with the game, the game of Jenga, just imagine that being the World Trade Center, right? So everything is pretty much very, very stable. Now, if we were if we were to implode the building, we would have to take out every supporting wall one at a time. And uh, that's what you would have to do. You have to, you have to go level to level to level and take out every supporting wall. So like, like in a game of Jenga, when everyone starts playing, this very, very stable piece of you know, wood, right, where you have all these levels of wood, when everyone plays in Jenga, they take out supporting walls, right? And eventually, you're left with this structure that's basically holding on for dear life. And that's what they do when they implode a building. So they take out every supporting wall, kind of playing like Jenga. And then what they do is then they explode 
certain walls to make sure this building folds upon each other. Now that prep work for the Road Trade Center to do Road Trade Center 1 and 2 building would take close to a year to actually prep, all right? So you can't just have bombs in there, right? You have to prep it. Secondly, the bombs that they're placing in there are huge to, to actually get rid of these columns. They would have to, they're huge. Then thirdly, these bombs, these bombs would have to be detonated in a certain order so it can implode, all right? That's what, that's what happens. Now, these buildings imploded from the level that the, um, that the airplane uh, exploded, I guess their airplane crashed into. Now, why is that? Now, I'll get into that, right? But, we, but when you implode a building, uh, I, guess, I guess implode a building, uh, there's, they go through a couple rounds of explosives. One, to explode the, um, the supporting walls, and then the, the building will still be standing. And then they'll start to implode the middle of the building and then the outer part of the building. And everything in there, by the way, is not remotely detonated. They literally run wires from one explosive to the other so they can be exploded in this certain order. All right? Nothing is remote control. Nothing, absolutely nothing is remote control. So again, where were all the wires? Where was the gutting of this building? Where were all the explosives at? You can't just, you know, go into certain parts of the building and put bombs in there. It's not going to work that way right? It's absolutely not going to work that way. So what exactly happened? Now, there have been many, many theories right now, but get this, okay? So I know jet fuel only burns at a certain temperature and it will not melt steel, right? Because again, you have jet fuel inside the motor, right? It won't, it won't melt the engine. But if certain things happen within the engine, it will, that, 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 even the engine will catch on fire and then melt the actual wing. That's why when an airplane, airplane's engine catches on fire, they have to extinguish it very, very, very quickly. And there's been many instances where airplanes have crashed on the tarmac, right? And um, there, was a, there was a fire in there within the engine, which they did not extinguish, and the whole airplane ended up getting burnt and melting the aluminum there. So again, other things catch on fire. So, such as the, the chairs inside the airplane will catch on fire. So when you, when you put like a, when you crash an airplane into a building, there's other things inside there, like the curtains, the rugs, the other, uh, the styrofoams, the, the, the drop ceiling inside of the World Trade Center. All of that will catch on fire, right? And here's the other thing. That fire can get very, very hot. And on top of that, it will start liquefying the aluminum. Now, what happens when you liquefy aluminum and you put water onto it? It becomes very, very, very explosive. It's like a bomb. So that explosion, you know, could have that, if the water sprinklers had been activated there, the water drops onto melting aluminum, and that could have actually brought on the explosion that people heard. And that's what a lot of scientists had said. Now, again, the many 9-11 truthers don't want to actually admit this. Everything I said, they don't want to admit this because, again, they went down that rabbit hole of paranoia. Now it's become part of who they are, defining them because, again, they don't trust the government. And, well, they won't get out. They really, really won't get out. But this is me just saying, hey, this is just, you know, this is, this is just logical reasoning here. I'm, as a screenwriter poking plot holes in it. Again, I'm not saying that 9-11 went down this way, but I'm saying that if I were a screenwriter, 
writing this thing and you wrote me this scene and said, hey, you know what, this this building, the road trade centers were brought down by bombs. Well, you can't just do it by putting bombs in there. You can't. You can't implode a building just by putting bombs in there and detonating a few bombs remotely. It can't happen. It can't happen at all. Anyway, this is my podcast for today. I hope you had some fun with it. And, uh, you know, um, I think I'll be going out tomorrow, so I may not be podcasting tomorrow. But uh, if I do, I'll hop back on. And uh, I hope you have a great day. And uh, tune in to me next time. And thank you so much for like uh, listening to me, booking my services. Really appreciate it. And again, share my podcast if you can with your friends, if you like it. Thanks. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I had fun podcasting. If you like what you hear, please share my podcast. If you can't find me, look on your favorite podcast platform and look for BBQ two movies that's bbq to movies yeah the to is not the number two by the way it is to like terrell owens so that's bbq two movies catch you around